Hey friends, welcome to the 75th episode of the Declare Podcast. You're here, you made it. Can you believe it? I just wanna give a huge shout out to all of our loyal listeners. Declare has the world's best community of women, I'm absolutely convinced. And if you're new to Declare, we're a ministry for women who communicate God's message through their own stories in all kinds of ways, including speaking, writing, and podcasting. Our goal is to equip you through this podcast, our online community, our annual conference, and more to confidently inspire others with your story. I'm your host, Ann Watson. Do you have an idea for this podcast or a topic you would like me to cover? Let me hear from you. Send an email to podcast at declareconference.com. I can't guarantee we'll take every suggestion, but one thing we know for sure, your voice matters. So let us hear yours. Ticket sales for the 2018 Conference Warrior are in full swing and they're going fast. Make sure you make plans to join us this October by getting your ticket now. We also have lots of opportunities for sponsorship. So if you have a new book or a ministry, a podcast, a business, you can sponsor this podcast or the conference. There's a lot of options to choose from. So just send an email to info at declareconference.com. In our last episode, I talked with Kristen Lemus. Kristen is one of the founders of Declare, and she is one of the most awesome spiritual warriors I've ever met. She's also the busy mom of six and an author. We cover tons in our conversation, including the hardest things she's ever done, what we all need to stop confessing, and why there will always be opposition in our lives. She also talks about two new things she's launching that you don't want to miss. That is episode number 74, so check it out. Today, though, we're on episode number 75, 75 with Trisha Goyer. Y'all, Trisha has written more than 70 books. She's got fiction, nonfiction. She's got them for kids. She's got them for writers. She's got them for teens. You name it. She even has it for Amish people. (laughs) She also wrote the book that goes with the movie Mom's Night Out, which, you know, is a major motion picture. Like, that's a big deal. She is a speaker, a podcaster. She's a mom. She's a grandmother. She has adopted six kids because clearly she is not busy enough. Honestly, you're going to love her. She's so great. She's so down to earth. She's so authentic. And I'm just so excited for you to hear this conversation. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started with our conversation with Trisha Goyer. Hi, Trisha. I am so excited to have you on the Declare podcast today. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to like take a break from the kids and all the chaos to go and and just chat with someone. It's super fun. You know, what's so funny is you said take a break from all the chaos. And I have been doing a little bit of research on you. And yeah, there's some chaos there. Uh, (laughs) So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that. But before we get started, Could you just take a couple of minutes and just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, like your family and maybe your story? So I'm married to John and actually we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this week. Oh, congrats. Yeah, thank you. I met him when I was a single teen mom. So I became pregnant in high school and had my son. And it was really during my pregnancy that I dedicated my life to God. And I prayed for God to bring me someone who would love me and someone who would love my son. And of course, someone who loved God and God brought John. And so he's just a gift to me after we got married. Married. We had two more kids. So Corey, I had first, and then we had Leslie and Nathan. And those kids are now 28, 25, and 23. And then I was a 
stay-at-home mom who decided, I want to write books. And so I attended my first writer's conference. I was just 22 years old and pregnant with my third. Started a couple years later writing for magazines and then later got books published. And I was busy as a mom, homeschooling, doing all these things. Our kids had almost graduated when John and I felt called to adoption. And so we adopted first from a birth mom He'd been looking for a family and someone told us about us that we were open to adoption. And so we adopted a baby girl in 2010. And then later, uh, after we moved from Montana to Arkansas, we just found out more about kids in foster care and the huge need. There's so many kids that their parents' rights have already been relinquished and they just need homes. And so we ended up adopting a two-year-old little boy and a five-year-old little girl in 2013. And then I thought, okay, we're done. I'm still writing lots of books every year and um, did some speaking, raising kids, started homeschooling all, all over again. And also I lead a teen mom support group and that just comes out of my being a teen mom, just love those young mamas. And so it's here in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I remember just going there and there's so many girls in our teen mom support group who had aged out of foster care. And right away they were pregnant because they have nowhere to go. They have no family. They find themselves living with a boyfriend and they found themselves you know, pregnant soon after. I remember telling my husband, someone needs to catch these girls before they age out and they don't have anywhere to go. And they just look for love in all the wrong places. And I just felt like God tapping me on my shoulder, like, you guys still have a big house. You have more bedrooms. <laughs> what about you? And so we ended up adopting four girls from foster care. They were ages 11 to 14. There's 11-year-old and then 12-year-old twins and then 14-year-old when we adopted them. And now they're ages 13 to 17. So we went from having three kids and almost empty nesters to now we still have seven kids, 18 and under, in the house. And I'm still writing books, traveling and speaking about four or five times a year and trying to balance all of that. Okay, well, when you say, though, that you're writing books, I mean, you're talking about you have written more than 70 books. Yes. I mean, that's a lot of books. And they're in all kinds of genres. There's fiction and nonfiction and kids and teens and all kinds of stuff. I just have to say, I'm sure that you get asked this all the time, but what the heck? How do you like raise this <laughs> gigantic slew of kids and you write more than 70 books, one of which I might add was made into a major motion picture that some of our ladies might have heard of called Mom's Night Out. Yeah. Well, actually, they made the movie and then asked me to write the book. So, oh, uh, okay. but, it, but, it, but it was super fun because we got to go on the red carpet and be there at the Chinese theater and meet all the actors. And so that was super fun. Yeah. So when I first started writing, I was 22. I'm 46 now. So that's been quite a few years. Uh, my first book came out in 99. And I was writing probably three to four books a year. So those really add up. And I've slowed down. I mean, now I'm only doing like two books a year, which for me. Oh, what a slacker. I know. <laughs> but, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to see kind of where people are and compare, you know, maybe if you see someone that's accomplished or doing a lot and think about that, they were always like that. And so at the beginning, I mean, I got rejections for two years just on Mark magazine articles. And then I started getting magazine articles published. I got an agent, it's Janet Grant with books and such. And I started working with her. And then I had another couple years of getting rejected for all the manuscripts that I was working on, mostly fiction. Um, and then I finally got a break writing a devotional, a kid's devotional for Focus on the Family. And so my heart was really always fiction. And then because I have kids and married and uh, work with teen moms, then I, a lot of the nonfiction stuff came in. 
But, you know, my first novel took two years and my first nonfiction book took a year and a half and I've just gotten faster over time. And I think one of the things is I've always had kids at home. And so, you know, I've never had a day job outside the house. I've always been a mom and had these kids. And so really it's squeezing in time to write. And so when I sit down and have maybe an hour or two in the afternoon, I have to like get words on paper. And actually, I think that's benefited me because I have, you know, friends that are empty nesters and have all day to write and they play solitaire and they go to coffee and they do all these things. And so actually I think it's always benefited me having kids because I have such a limited amount of time. Like when I sit down, like I have to get stuff done and I love getting up early and having quiet time. And sometimes I'll get a little writing done then, but really it is just squeezing in this writing thing in the midst of this busy life with kids. Well, how do you get in the zone then? Because I know for a lot of writers, you have to sit and you've got to kind of warm up your brain and get some ideas out there. And for you, if you're only doing it an hour or two at a time, you know, how are you ramping up to that? And then what are you doing if you're getting interrupted? Because I'm sure that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think I'm an early riser. Just I've had to build that as a habit because I have busy people around, noisy people all day long. And so I wake up early and really from my quiet time, a lot of the writing happens. So I'll be sitting there and, you know, I I try to read a couple chapters of the Bible a day and pray and pretty soon something out of God's word will give me an idea for something that I'm working on. And I usually find myself like the overflow of my quiet time ends up stirring me up. And so that's kind of, uh, I don't have writer's block because it's kind of an outflow of that morning time with God. But there are times when I will sit down the computer and like, this is the last thing I want to do is to sit and work on this chapter. I mean, I'd rather go clean a toilet or I know that I have to make a shopping list. There's all these things in my mind. And it really is over time, the discipline of just making myself start writing. And in her book, Bird by Bird, Anne Lamont talks about just do the next thing. So bird by bird, word by word, sentence by sentence. And I'll tell myself, okay, I'm going to write 100 words, or I'm going to see if I could write 500 words in the next hour. And I'll give myself these little challenges. And usually once I start typing, then things start to come. And so even when I don't feel like it, I'm tired. I mean, there's times I'm under deadline and it's 930 at night. I finally got the little kids in bed. The older kids are watching TV and I just want to go to bed. Like I'm exhausted. Yeah. But I will sit down and like, okay, I'm only going to write 300 words. And then pretty soon, once I get into it, the words start flowing. And I think the hardest thing is looking either at the blank page or not knowing what happens next or what you need to write next. And once I start typing and sometimes the next day, it's not that great and I need to go back and work on it. But sometimes once I get that kind of going, the words start to flow, but it really is just to get your fingers on the keyboard and start going. And I think that the fear of it's not going to make sense or I'm not going to have anything worthwhile at the end stops us. And so when I give myself those challenges, it's like, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to get 300 words down. And then later I'm like, hey, that kind of works. Okay, I could use this. Or, or sometimes I can't use it, but I could still do it a little bit every day. It adds up. I'm sure that it does add up. But I have another question for you because you are involved in a lot of stuff. I mean, you're still writing you know, magazine articles and your blog and you're writing books and you're raising these kids. And I think you said you're starting a podcast, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I'm sure that means that you have a lot of projects going all at once. So how do you figure out which one needs your attention the most? Oh, that's a really good question. So usually I have like one book that I'm under deadline 
you know, at least one. Right now it's only one, <laughs> which I purposely have it only be one. So I have a book due, it's due September 3rd. And so I have a little app I have on my phone that's called Any Do. It's just A-N-Y dot D-O. And I just got it from the app store. And it has like a little calendar um, and I could put tasks on it. And so every day I'll put the title of the book that I'm working on and I'll just put a little daily task for me to work something on it. So even if it's 30 minutes, I try to get something done on that book. And then I have the tasks that I need for homeschooling the kids. So, you know, we have a senior this year. Our daughter's graduating. So I would say read Maria's essay that she's writing for a scholarship or I might have write 500 words on that story for Home Life magazine, I will try to give myself like two or three tasks. And I think the thing that we do um, is sometimes we write our huge list and we look at it and we're so completely overwhelmed we don't need to start. Also, I'll have books that are in the midst of like getting edited. So I have a book that's coming out in October that I just got the galleys back. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I could be thinking, I need to get to that. Well, I put that on there for Monday. So Monday, I'll start looking on those galleys and I'll know that is one of my tasks. So when I go through my day, I'll go, okay, today I have to work a little bit on this book. I have to read over this essay. You know, I have to do one other thing. And then I'm done. Like those are the things that I have to do. Then I'll do the kids and the housework and make dinner. And then later, if I have time, I'll look at some of my other tasks. But I try to keep it to two or three things that I know I can get done. Um, And then I feel accomplished instead of looking at the 20 things that I need to be doing and thinking there's no way I could get all this done and feel completely overwhelmed. Yeah, I definitely fall into that. I have so many things to do. I get overwhelmed category. And I'm learning how to use Google Calendar to set up tasks like this. But I'm going to have to check out that AnyDo app. That sounds like a great tool. Yeah, it's just right on my phone and I could set reminders during the day. So, you know, 15 minutes before we got on to record, I had a little reminder that popped up on my phone that says, um, you're going to be sitting down with Anne on a podcast. <laughs> and so I tell the kids, okay, everyone quiet down. I'm going to my room. I'm going to be interviewing. And I often do either I'm interviewing people for my podcast. I'm being interviewed when I have a book launch. I mean, there is for the month of October last year, I think I had an interview at least one a day. So I'm always telling my kids, okay, mommy's going to be in the room for either 15, 20, 30 minutes. And I was being interviewed. But those little things, I could record the days and the times and it just pops up and reminds me of what needs to get done. Oh, that's really cool. So I want to ask you, though, because you did talk about the podcast and your books and all the things that you're doing. Do you have anything that you would say to somebody who says that you need to stay in your lane? So I have heard publishers and experts all say you've got to kind of figure out what your niche is and then stay in your lane. But it seems to me like you have multiple areas that are a niche to you. So how do you respond to that whole idea of staying in your lane? Right. I've completely broken every rule. And it really has just come to, um, I love what Henry Blackaby says, to see what God's doing and join him. And so when I started writing, I wanted to write fiction. I grew up reading novels, love Nancy Drew, Little House on the Prairie. I mean, just love fiction. And when I first got my agent, that's what I was working on. Well, at the same time, I started my teen mom support group. And there was no resources out there for teen moms. And so I thought, I need to write a book for teen moms, thinking this is going to be like my one nonfiction project. And in the same year, I got a contract for my nonfiction book, which at the time was called Life Interrupted. It's been updated, called Teen Mom now. And then I got a contract for my novel. And so right from that first year, 
it was kind of breaking the rules, but it wasn't me. It was like God just opened the doors in both areas. And so as I've gone along, I do get ideas for both fiction and nonfiction. I'll write proposals, but really like you can't tell the publishers which ones to publish. And so sometimes people would pick novels and sometimes they'd pick some of my nonfiction ideas. But then I've had publishers approach me and said, you know, if like Mom's Night Out, they approached me about that. I wrote a book called 316 Teen with Max Lucado. So they approached me. And so people kind of see, I know from my online presence or, you know, they know I have kids and they know I have teens and they know I work with teen moms. And so they'll kind of approach me and ask me to write these projects. And so it's always with prayer that I sit down and, and consider like, God, are you behind this? Is this some, a door that you're opening? Is this something that I'm naturally drawn to? Or sometimes it makes no sense. And so like one of the times I was writing mostly nonfiction and some World War II, and one publisher asked if I'd write Amish, which I'm like, uh, why would I write Amish? Like, I was not interested at all. But then I prayed about it, and I've, I've learned to bring everything to God in prayer, and I prayed about it. And I remembered that I knew a family that had been Amish. Their daughter played on a basketball team with my daughter. And so I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then uh, my daughter and I went out to coffee that same day when I got asked by this publisher. And I saw the girl, like we hadn't seen her in nine months and we're sitting there having coffee and she walks in. I'm like, okay, this cannot be a coincidence. And so I said, Soretta, I'd love to talk to your parents about just their experiences being Amish. And she's like, here's their number. So I call them later that night and they're like, oh, we're going to be in town tomorrow. They lived about an hour and a half away. They ended up coming over that next day. So this is like still within 24 hours and telling us the most amazing story that ended up, I turned it into a fiction series, which, and then that led to other Amish books. So people are always like, were you drawn to the Amish? I'm like, no, it was just like so clearly that God was opening that door. And the amazing thing is that that Amish series is now, I can't give too many details away, but it's um, pretty close to being picked up as a TV series um, by a major network. And I mean, we're, you know, talking about contracts being drawn up soon and that sort of thing. And so it's like, God, just kind of sets these things before me. And it's either, you know, saying yes or saying no, but it makes no sense. Like, so publishers say, stay in your lane. It's made no sense to me, but I've just discovered if God puts it there, that it must be for a reason. And so I think my advice is all of us have different things that we're interested in. And I was interested in fiction, but he gave me these nonfiction titles. And if God is opening the door, I would say walk through it, even though publishers say do one thing, I think God is even bigger than that. And I've just continued to find success by just following him in all these areas instead of worrying, like, what box do I fit into? Because I really, there's no box. It's just completely random. I love that. I love that you say that there's no box and that you're a rule breaker and that if God puts it before you to just walk through it, because I do think that there are a lot of people out there who are multi-passionate entrepreneurs. And I think that that's such great advice for them. Yeah. And I think we worry so much about, okay, if I you know, have this one thing published, then I'm always going to have to do this type of book. And so I need to find the perfect thing, which I think sometimes it, that even limits us too, because we're like, okay, if I'm right parenting, then I have to 
planned my next 20 books and God might be having something completely different. Um, And so for me, it has been following him, but it also has been seen that, you know, when I write fiction, sometimes those fiction readers will pick up my nonfiction books and sometimes I'll write nonfiction and that will pull in different readers to go, oh, she writes novels. And so it's just expanded my audience, I think, instead of getting focused on that one area. And I even had like conversations with God about this because everyone says, you know, focus on the one thing. And um, I remember taking a friend to a writer's conference and she got her first book published and it hit the Christian bestsellers list. And at the time I had about 12 books published and I'm thinking, God, you know, here it is. She writes her first book. It's on all these bestsellers lists and my books. I mean, they sell well, but it's never hit like these huge numbers like hers did. And I felt God just like his gentle whisper saying, if I had given you a bestseller, then you would have thought that's the only thing that you would have written. You know, so if I would have had my first parenting book be a bestseller, then I would just been the parenting author from then on. And so he's just given me enough sales to keep me going, but I haven't had to focus on that one thing. And so it's just really seen that he has the audiences that he wants for me, and it may not be the bestseller audience, but there might be these little smaller audiences that really need the message that I can give them. Okay, but I think you're uh, teetering dangerously close to selling yourself short. And I just have to say, you are an award-winning author. I mean, your books have won a lot of highly visible awards because you're gifted at what you do, and they're really quality books. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) and it's so hard for me. I'm the worst, like, promoter of myself. I think because I feel... Like, I can't do any of this without God. And so, yeah, you know, I've had some Book of the Year rewards, ACPA's Gold Medallion. I mean, all these things are awards. And that's awesome to, like, see those things. But really, I know it's, like, comes down to those moments when I'm sitting there going, God, I have no idea what's supposed to be in this book and that he provides it for me. And so I'm thankful, like, he does give me awards and he does give me sales. But I'm also thankful that he's given me, you know, if it's a small audience or if there's larger audience audience. I just know that it doesn't matter that I'm just faithful to what he is asking me to do. That's so great. I love that. Just that determination to be in God's will, as opposed to the culture that we're in. Yeah. And I think it's so hard sometimes because that's how people judge like, okay, I need to get this book on the bestsellers list. And I, I will make those goals like, you know, I'll try to get 100 Amazon reviews during release month. And sometimes I hit those things, sometimes I don't. But just knowing that, you know, I put in my effort, I'm going to be a good worker for God. Like, I'm not going to slack here. But ultimately, it is up to him what a book does and what audience it reaches. And, you know, I've had books that haven't sold great that I think are still wonderful books and that I know that there's the market just for that book. And it may not be 20,000 people, it might be 5,000 people. And I just have to trust God in that. Yeah, I love that. But before anybody out there starts thinking that, you know, you parent your kids and then you write books and that all of that is easy, uh, you shared with me that parenting the children that you have right now has been the hardest thing that you've ever done and that you've had to fight for them a lot. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if you can talk about that fight a little bit and how your new book, Walk It Out, came out in the middle of that. Yeah, so we adopted kids. Six of them are from foster care. And they are kids from hard places. They face abuse, neglect. I mean, there's a reason why these kids are in foster care. And, um, you know, right from the beginning, I thought, oh, you know, our love is going to make everything right again. And I realized, like, I didn't know how to parent these types of kids. And so really, it came down to being advocates for them. And it came down to 
okay, they need speech therapy. They need the right type of trauma therapy and seeking those things things out and, and being advocates for them and fighting for them that people will will find the right tools and resources and people will not judge them because it, it's really hard when you have a 13-year-old that's acting like a six-year-old that's running through the store and people are giving you looks. And, you know, I, I mean, I want to tell people the whole story, like, you don't understand where she's come from. But it's really just understanding that wherever they are, that I need to do what I can to, you know, have them love Jesus and become productive members of society. That's what I tell myself all the time. I don't need them to begin doctors and lawyers here, but I will fight to make sure they get what they need and to get the knowledge of God, which is the number one thing that we focus on in their homeschooling. You know, yes, I want them to know math and know how to read and do science, but really to know God, because that's going to impact their world. And when it came to the book, Walk It Out, it really is the, the subtitles, the radical results of living God's word one step at a time. And it's not been easy. It has been the hardest thing. I mean, there's been times when I'm dealing with kids that are blowing up in anger and they're triggered by things that happened in their past. So maybe I raise my voice when I'm telling them to do their chores and all of a sudden they launch off in anger because that triggered memories of abuse and remember, you know, memories of being neglected or whatever. And so here I am dealing with all these things from their past that I didn't do to them. But I'm having the results and there'd be times I'd be, you know, on my floor, in my bedroom, on my knees, just like, God, I don't understand why you called me to this. This is like the hardest thing ever. I could write 10 books. I'd rather write 10 books instead of sitting here and having to deal with these attitudes and these emotions. But I really discovered that God had changes that he wanted to to do in me instead of just changes in them. And so it really came to, you know, selfishness. Yes, I want my day to go easy and I don't want to, have to deal with these conflicts. And I want to be able to pick what I want to watch on TV and instead of having to sit down in an hour with like one of my daughters talking about her lying or whatever. Um, it came down to my selfishness and wanting the house to be clean all the time. You know, we adopted seven kids. It is not clean hardly ever. Honestly, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, you know, we, um, I had an office and I had a library and all that stuff got moved in my bedroom. And so, like, where I'm sitting now, there's piles of books and there's piles of school books and there's all this stuff all around me. And so, I am a firstborn type A personality. I like everything organized. And God has not given me that. He has given me difficult kids and a busy life. And it's just... I was talking to my friend, um, Stacy Thacker, and we were talking about like, I'm like, my life is chaos, but it's like in a beautiful way because I do see kids growing to love God and I see them changing and transforming, even though the house is a disaster. And she says, you know, my pastor was just talking about this and everywhere Jesus went, there was disruption and there was chaos. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that just helped me feel so much better. So when we we invite him into our life and we invite him, whether it's through writing, whether it's through ministry, whether it's through adopting kids, if we are letting him in, there's going to be some type of chaos because the easy thing is to live the comfortable life and have the perfectly clean house and have you know, our single book deadline that we can write at ease. But instead, when we invite him in, he sometimes leads us to places of chaos because he's there and he wants to impact change not only in the kids or in the books, but also in us as writers. Well, absolutely. And I love that comment about everywhere Jesus went, there was chaos, because that's so true. And Jesus seemed to handle that with just such grace and dignity. But for me, when I get overwhelmed by chaos, I sometimes can lose my patience and stuff. So I'm curious, when you're existing in a state of busy and chaos like you are, 
what does your self-care look like? How do you take care of you and get a break and keep from getting burned out? Mm, That's such a good question. So for us, um, because we're in the season of I'm homeschooling seven kids and I have big deadlines, my grandma lives with me, which we didn't even mention that part yet. Um, Yeah. My husband travels for work. We really just cut out anything that isn't necessary. So um, I do my Thursday night teen mom support group. My teen girls go to church on Wednesday night to youth group. And that's it. Like we have no outside activities. Our kids are not involved in sports, not running around. And really our evenings are dinner, chores, time with family, because you can only manage so much. I mean, if every kid was even in one activity, I mean, there's no way I could even keep track of all that and all the games and all the sports. And so really it's learning to say no to a lot of things. I'm not in a woman's Bible study right now, which I love, like BSF or Bible studies at my church. I just had to say no to those things. Um, I don't do a lot, a lot of coffees out with my friends. So I have friends, usually they're writer friends that will talk on the phone as I'm folding laundry. I love listening to podcasts. And so that, I, I mean, I love your podcast too. And I just love, like, I feel like that is nourishing to me. And then also mostly that quiet time in the morning when I sit there with my cup of tea, with my Bible, with my journal, and just have that time with God, it's self-care. And then once a year, my husband and I plan a trip away, just the two of us. So we're going to be going next week. We're going on a cruise and we have to build kind of these things into our life because otherwise, I mean, it'll just be completely full with kids and family. Um, And my goal this year was also to read fiction again, which I kind of put that to the side. So I have books on my nightstand and I'll say, okay, even if it's 10 minutes, I'm going to read this book. And really it comes down to saying no to a lot of things, but also saying yes to things that I know will feed me. So even if there's a pile of laundry that I haven't got to, I'm going to sit down for 10 minutes or 20 minutes and read this novel. And it's making those decisions that I know will feed me and will fuel me in the end. I love it. Ignore laundry for things that will feed you. That's so great. (laughs) Yeah. And really, and God really spoke to me and going back to the chaos thing and ignoring some of these things with all the kids and everything, I just would be so overwhelmed when there'd be piles of laundry. And I just felt God's, you know, gentle whisper, I love you just as much if there's a huge pile of laundry, as if you're all caught up. Like, I always think like, I have to have all these things done. And I have to have all these things caught up. And there'll never be a moment in my life where the to-do list is always done. So just being able to slow down and have peace in the moment and and really control our thoughts, because it really is our thoughts that are like, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And shame on you for not sitting down and writing today or shame on you for ignoring the laundry. But really, when I say, okay, God, God says it's okay. (laughs) I can ignore my laundry today. And he loves me. And I'm going to go spend time with the kid or I'm going to go sit down and read for a little bit. It's just really containing those thoughts and, you know, turning them over to the beatings of Christ and just having peace in the day, even in the midst of a busy life. And, you know, I have a full house, I have book deadlines, but I would say pretty much during the day there is peace. There's not, even though there's chaos like messes, there's not chaos within my soul. I just know that I'll get done what I need to get done. And if I need to ask for, you know, a couple more days on my deadline or need to ignore the laundry, that that's okay. Well, and I think that needs to get put into a really cool, you know, home decorative thing. Don't do the laundry. God said it's okay. God, exactly. <laughs> like, I need to call Day Spring or something. Like, we need to make some product for this. <laughs> exactly. Okay, but I want to ask you kind of a hard question. And I don't know if it is the area that you live in versus the area that I live in. But I am in North Dallas. And around here, 
People put their kids in activities to the point where they will skip church on Sunday in order to go to a soccer game. And so around here, if you are not putting your kids in activities, you're like a horrible parent and you're kind of a freak (laughs) and your kids are not going to be successful and, you know, all these terrible things. So how do you deal with that pressure of everything that you should be doing according to other people? Yeah. And my neighbors are, I mean, their kids are in sports and even my little grandson, he's in baseball. And so, you know, they have a couple practices a week and Saturday games and around me, there's lots of people that are doing that. Um, I think one of the best things that has benefited me is having adult kids. So my oldest kids are 28, 25, and 23. And when they were little, so they were probably like eight, five, and three, I was doing the t-ball and the ballet, and I was doing all the things and felt completely overwhelmed and was stressed out and yelling at my kids and grumpy with my husband. And my husband sat down, John sat down with me and said, okay, we need to discuss the schedule. And he had me write out everything that I did in a week. And I'm like, we don't have enough paper to write down everything I did in a week. Um, but we did. And then we labeled those things between one and four. And we one things were the things we had to do, like you know, had to feed the children and uh, we had to do homeschool, two things that we should do. So sometimes during the week we had to clean the house or do the laundry. Um, three were things I enjoyed doing, but we had to decide if it was the right season. So that would be Bible study and those types of things. And four were things that I was doing because I felt guilty or that I felt other people would see me as a bad parent or things that I should do. And actually ballet fell under that and T-ball fell under that um, because my son, he was eight at the time, he hated baseball. So he would sit out in the outfield and pick grass. He just didn't care about it. We did keep him in soccer, which was a different season. My daughter, she was in ballet, but she really loved the tutu. She didn't even care about the dances. She didn't pay attention. She would just look at herself in the mirror. And I realized that that was the good moms put their kids in these activities. And so we cut those out the kids were happier. I was happier. We had more space in our life. And then as they got older, so my daughter ended up taking piano lessons. She loved it. She followed through with piano. Our son played basketball for a time, but later when he was an adult, he picked up a guitar, taught himself how to play the guitar. They've had all these different things after they've gone into college. My daughter took up sign language. Um, My son, my 23-year-old wrote his first novel last year. Um, And it really, it made me realize that We don't have to do everything for our kids. If it's something that they are naturally talented in or something they'll be drawn to, they can do those things as an adult. So, you know, like my son started teaching himself guitar or my daughter teaching herself sign language and taking classes. That was the things that they decided to do as an adult. And when I started writing, I was 22. My mom never took me around to writing classes or all these things. It was just something that God had put in me that I developed later. And having the adult kids and seeing like they love Jesus, like all three of them love Jesus. All three of them are in careers now. All three of them are developing talents outside of those careers. It made me see like we don't have to do everything when they're little. And so really I... I mean, some people will say, you're you're not in any activities, your kids aren't involved. I'm like, nope, we have dinner together as a family. We like to play board games. We'll watch movies together. And that has been the priority. We read books together. When I put them to bed, I read books to them. And we just decided that that's a priority. Also, family service at church. So we all do children's church together. The teens and my husband and I, we all act out Bible stories. And my oldest son leads, he's a children's pastor and we all help him. And that's our service. And that's 
a more of a priority to us than taking our kids to these soccer games or whatever, because I realized that we are raising them to be adults and we are raising them to be adults who will serve God and love others. And if your kid is meant to be a soccer star and be the next Tim Tebow of the soccer world or whatever, right. uh, God will show you that. Like he will make it clear. Otherwise, we're just spending a lot of time running around doing things that aren't going to matter in light of eternity. I love that. And I think I need to maybe step back and rethink at least my last child's activity level. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's too late for the older two, but you know, the baby I might be able to save. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they turn out okay. Like it just helped me so much, you know, have these little kids. I'm like, they'll turn out okay as I look to my older kids. Well, and I love how you said that you had them in all of those activities when they were younger, but then when they were adults, they didn't continue with any of those activities and the things they picked up were completely different. Right. And it just had to be them discovering who they were and what interests them. My daughter, when she started, she started junior college classes. I was homeschooling and she was 16 when she started classes and she took a class with someone who had a sign interpreter. And she's like, that is so cool. I want to be able to communicate with them too. And so she just took it on herself. Like I didn't know that when she's little, like she never showed it any interest and I never took her to classes. But when they're supposed to do things and there's things that are interesting, them, they will do it like as adults. You know, so I think so many times we feel like they're empty vessels that we have to fill them up with every single thing, art and music and science and um, sports and all these things. And none of us are empty vessels. God's created us for a unique purpose for his kingdom. And so really, as we grow older, we discover like, this is what I love to do. And I know God put this in me for a reason. And I will use this. And we don't have to, as parents, like try to figure it out that our kids, as they grow and mature, We want them to have the relationship with God so they will figure it out for themselves. That's just so inspiring and refreshing. I love it. But, you know, I want to take the time to ask you about your newest book, which is called Walk It Out. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. But then also you have gotten back into podcasting, I think you said. So I'm wondering if you can tell us about, you know, your current projects. What's going on right now? Yeah. So my podcast is called Walk It Out, and it really came out of the book. Um, And I did a radio show I think it was like 2008 to 2010, maybe 2011. Um, And this was the day when the radio station was in Tyler, Texas. They would call me up during three o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, and they would actually call the people I'd interview, um, which were, you know, Christian authors and speakers. And I would interview them and they would produce it and put it on the radio. And then also it'd be available online. Um, And so really, I love doing that. And when I started adopting kids, That was kind of one of the things that I pushed back that I realized it wasn't the season. But recently, I mean, I love listening to podcasts and I love um, just talking with my friends. I mean, I know so many amazing people just being in the Christian publishing field for so long. um, It just kind of got that itch again. I have 10 episodes out of Walk It Out and it's it's totally a new thing. So, you know, it's me um, interviewing. I use Zencaster and I record on my computer and then I have someone that does the editing for me but I do the intro and the outro and it's just like learning a whole new thing all over again but it's okay I think you know I'm finally getting the hang of it and at first you know we can get scared Um, I know I was scared again because it was so easy when the radio station just called me and I just had to talk on my phone but this is like figuring out for myself but I do think if we feel like that nudge inside us that God's like nudging us in a direction even if it's a learning curve that it's worth it and so yeah I just have 10 episodes I have uh, four more that I've recorded that haven't been released yet and it's just kind of fun outlet for me it's fun to 
connect with my friends. Everyone that I've had on my show are people I've known personally. So I'm starting to interview people that I don't know in the coming future. But it's cool to have that time where I can just, you know, learn something new and just see God show up in that too. Yeah, that's really great. And what about the book, Walk It Out? So Walk It Out came out in October, and it really is kind of our story of when John and I say yes to God. And it starts out, um, you know, talking about just being that teen mom and just being willing to say, God, you know, if you could do anything with my life, please do. And then I take through almost the journey of how God has led me to being able to just say, I'm open to whatever you want, God, just, you know, I will walk it out with you. I will follow your word. And so some of the topics I talk about was finding healing from being a teen mom. And also I had an abortion when I was 15. So, you know, so many times and for so many years, I wanted to be a Christian writer and I wasn't getting anything published. And it came down to, I had so much baggage that God needed to heal me from even before I can start reaching out to other people. So one whole chapter is about just finding healing and getting rid of the baggage. And one chapter is on creating white space. And so I talk about what we already talked about, how my husband sat down with me and said, okay, we need to label everything from one to four. And really before I can get book contracts. I had to sit down and clear out those spaces that I was so busy just doing for the sake of doing. I mean, some of the other things that I cleared out was I was volunteering cooking dinner on a Wednesday night at our church because I didn't want to say no. Like someone asked me if I'd volunteer and I said yes because all the other ladies were doing it. So once I cleared out those things and created white space, then God's like, okay, now you're ready for a book contract. Like there's no way you would have been able to handle it before. And I talk about how God, you know, led me to start the teen mom support group and how God led us to adoption. We also attend an inner city church um, in Little Rock. So it's a multi-ethnic church. And it really is just when we read God's word, where it says to care for the orphans and widows and to love all people and to make disciples of all nations, what does that mean and how can we walk it out on a daily basis? And so I just do that by sharing a lot of our story, then turning it back on the reader saying, okay, what do you need to cut out? Or where do you need to find healing in your life? Or is there someone, it may not be across the world, but is there someone on your street that needs to hear about Christ? And if God says, go make disciples, what is he putting on your heart towards that person? And so it kind of is the journey of we see what God's word says, but how are we going to live it out in our everyday life? That's really incredible. And we are actually going to do a giveaway for a copy of this book. Uh, so all they have to do to possibly win this copy is go to your website and click on the raffle copter there. And there'll be a bunch of different things they can do to be entered into the drawing, right? Yep. So it's just trishagoyer.com. And then there's a button that says blog, and we'll put a blog up there and it'll connect to this podcast. And we'll just say, you know, leave something on the raffle copter and you can enter to win a copy of Walk It Out. That's so great. I love it. Well, Trisha, I know that uh, we are so excited that you are coming to be a speaker for Declare in the fall. And we're going to get to hear a whole lot more from you about writing and publishing and all that great stuff. But our theme this year is warrior. And we're talking about what it means to be a warrior when you are one of God's girls. And I'm just curious, what does being a warrior mean to you? 
Mm, I love that so much. And so really, over the last couple of years, a warrior has been on my knees. So it has been praying for these kids and praying for the writing and praying for these other crazy pop projects that might be happening. But also, I think there's another part of the warrior, uh, which is the worship. And so many times we have so many fears of what is ahead. And, you know, there is a real enemy out there that is trying to pull us down. And I found so many times when I am fearful, or I am concerned about a situation, or I think I'm never going to be able to get this book done, when I just start praising and worshiping God, it's like the gentle part of a warrior. And I love how David in the Bible, he was the one that was out there. He was fighting, but he was also the one on the hill with the sheep, with his harp, or even you know during times of battle. So come back and just worship God. And that is really my word for the year is worship. And it really is just the two part of, yes, we step out and yes, we, we do what God is asking us. And yes, we are brave and put on the armor and all those things, but also we pull back and we worship and we realize like we don't need to fear because God is there. And so I've just been more worshipful this year, putting on praise music in the morning and really thinking through the lyrics. I have a horrible voice, so I kind of sing along, but it doesn't even matter to God. Just realizing that we need that tenderness in realizing who our king is and who we're fighting for. And I think that's just as important as our role as a warrior. That is so great. I love it that you're warring on your knees in prayer and through worship. That's just so great. Well, Trisha, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your obviously incredibly busy schedule to come and sit with us and just share your hard-won wisdom. And what I really love about talking to you is all the joy that I hear in your voice when you talk about these projects and your kiddos and these philosophies. I just think that you are very, very inspiring. And I'm so grateful that you were able to come on and just share all of that with our listeners today and with me. To be at Declare, I mean, I just was so blessed last year just being there and and meeting so many new faces. I'm really looking forward to that this year. We are too. And there will be more about you and your speaking topic on our website soon. But in the meantime, I just want to tell everybody, head over to trishagoyer.com and join that raffle copter, win a copy of that book, but find out more about what Trisha is involved in. There's so much stuff on that website. You could probably get lost for hours, but uh, maybe you need to take a day and make that one of your you know, top two or three priorities for the day, and then that will be a good thing. So, Trisha, thanks again, and I will see you this fall. That sounds perfect. Thank you. Wasn't that so inspiring? You can follow Trisha and find all the links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes at DeclareConference.com. They're also available on your mobile device or on the website. You can see more of Trisha at the Declare Conference this fall, so get your ticket before it sells out. Also, don't forget to head over to Trisha's website and enter to win a free copy of her new book, Walk It Out. You will not be sorry. So the rest of our notes for today, please subscribe to this podcast if you're enjoying it, and then take a couple of minutes and leave us a review. Don't be shy. And then share it with all your friends. You can also let us know if you want to sponsor this podcast or the conference or any of our other new and impactful opportunities by just sending an email to info at declareconference.com. And while you're there on our website, just go ahead and grab your ticket. You will not regret it, I promise. If you have not yet joined our online community through our Facebook page, you're missing out. So make sure you get connected and start getting inspired today. I hope these last 75 episodes of the Declare podcast have inspired and encouraged you. Thank you so much for always listening, and we will see you next time on the Declare Podcast. Mm-hmm.